Hey everyone, my name is Nick Gibson. I'm the senior pastor here at High Point. The person I'm going to introduce to you who's going to preach this morning, Pastor Lloyd Biddle, is very well known to a lot of people here, but some people are new and I want to get us all on the same page before he comes. Uh, Lloyd Biddle um, uh, has been a uh, disciple of Jesus for more than 30 years. He's been married to his wife Deborah for 34 years. They have two grown sons, 28 and 24, Jason and Jared. Uh, Lloyd uh, has a bachelor's from University of Illinois in finance, an MBA from Kellogg School of Business, and an MA in theology from Wheaton College. He um, became a licensed minister at Waukegan Baptist Bible Church in 2000 and worked for 20 years in sales leadership and American Family Insurance before he became a full-time minister as the senior associate pastor at High Point Church here in Madison. He served seven years here on our staff as our lead pastor before becoming the pastor of River Valley Community Church in Aurora, Illinois, right during the COVID run, right in 2020. And right now he's the VP of Sales and Marketing for um, the People Company Consulting Group and is getting ready to plant a church in the Fox River Valley in 2014. We are going to have an Ask Me Anything in AMA with Aaron um, hosting Lloyd afterwards. She will ask him a couple follow-up questions like, hey, what's going on now, Lloyd? But then we'll, um, we'll take your questions. Also, I will say this. When Lloyd preaches, he does enjoy talking back. Not like kids talk back to their parents, but more like, you know, something hits you, you can say amen, or ooh, that hurts, or yeah, I think that, or I wish my wife would listen, or things like that. Because um, he just, he likes a little feedback. So let me pray for Lloyd as he comes, and then he'll preach to us. Father, we're so glad to have Lloyd with us. Um, we know that there are many people, we, we don't pay for what they do with us in courtesy, so we pay in honor. We pray that the main way we'd honor Lloyd um, this hour is by listening to what he says, so that we can discern through it what you are saying to us. We pray that you'd give him word and focus and content and emotion appropriate to us to draw us to adore you as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Is my mic on? It sounds like it. Good. Good, good, good. Um, uh, Debbie and I came to Madison in 2006. Um, I came for career changes like a lot of people do. And um, we, we joined High Point after visiting just a handful of churches. We joined High Point and we were here from six to 2020 when I went back to Illinois just in time for my mom to pass. Um, uh, my mom knew the Lord for uh, many years, faithful. Um, some folks even from High Point were able to come to her funeral. Uh, so it wasn't, it was time. You ever, uh, if you minister to older saints, sometimes it's time. And my mom knew it was time. We, we knew it was was time, and, but the blessing was I got a chance to see my mom almost every week for about a year before she died. Uh, we serve a good God, come on with me. He's a, he's a good God. Um, I am uh, so delighted uh, to be with you here uh, this morning. Um, um, this is my, uh, this is my, still my home church. So I know, I don't, I, I still know all the secret passageways and, <laughs> and stuff, and I still sneak in the Nick's uh, office from the back, and he doesn't mind, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, so, so the, you, are, you are my family in, in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
So Debbie and I are delighted to be here. Our boys, Jason and Jared, who if you've been here, you knew they were raised here. Uh, 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 Jason is in, in Los Angeles. You can pray for him. Uh, after working for a tech firm, he got caught up in some of the layoffs in the tech industry. So he's looking, he's doing fine. He's looking for a job. You can pray for Jason. And then Jared just moved to Los Angeles and he works for the public school system in Los Angeles in an after school program. And he really likes his work. He gets to connect with high school students and that's really been a good thing. Uh, wifey's business is still doing great. I'm working more in her business now. Uh, we're working on a book, you can pray on that as well. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of uh, an update on this. We're gonna, this morning we're gonna look at Mark's gospel. Um, and we're gonna look at just four verses. Uh, this is John Mark, he's the one that went on the mission field with Paul and Barnabas and turned back early in his ministry career, uh, but later became one of the most dedicated and faithful apostles. In fact, uh, Paul forgave him. We know this because in 2 Timothy 4, around verse 11, he says, send, send Paul, he's in prison, Paul's in prison. He says, send him to me because he's useful for ministry. Most people think that this gospel was written because of the notes that he got from being with Peter. And so he writes this gospel. It is a, the shortest gospel. It is the action gospel. It is about Jesus, the son of of God. It talks about his authority and his legitimacy as the Son of God. And I think the most critical, pivotal verse is in Mark 10, 45, uh, for the Son of Man uh, did not uh, come to be served, but to serve and, uh, and, and give his life as a ransom for many. Amen? And so uh, from that particular text uh, comes uh, this particular uh, verse that we're going to focus on in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Hey, wifey, what I want you to do is look into my Bible. My vision is good 2020, but sh when I look down, I got no vision. And I forgot to grab my glasses. So I think, did she disappear? Oh, okay, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll make it. I'll make it until she comes back. Okay, all right. <laughs> we're going to look at Mark uh, 2, verses 13 through uh, 17. About this time in Mark's account of the gospel, the opposition from the Pharisees and the scribes, the, the legal scholars, the educated uh, elite uh, in Israel is starting to pick up. And um, uh, if, I, if I was gonna be able to preach this, I'd preach you three sermons that would talk about the hangups of the self-righteous. I'd preach them back to back. Thank you so much, Sarah. Bless you, bless you. Um, today we're going to focus on kind of, as Mark presents the gospel, one of the seminal cases where he runs into issues with the self-righteous leadership. Uh, as I have been uh, reading through the gospels uh, a bit, I'm, I'm increasingly um, become aware of how self-righteousness really affects people who believe God, who believe that there is God, who believe in the triune God, self-righteousness, we have to be, pay attention to it in our souls so that it does not keep us from, from knowing and loving and serving God in the way that we ought to. This verse, these verses deal with self-righteousness. 
And we've just got four of them this morning. Mark 2, 13 to 14. Jesus went out again beside the sea. He's in the northern part of Israel, the Galilee region. He went out beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. This was Jesus' pattern. When he went out, uh, if there was a small group, a large group, he was preaching, preaching the, the gospel first and foremost. That was the, the, the seminal work of Jesus. He was teaching them, and he passed by. He saw uh, 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 Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at, a ta- at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined, did I, did I skip something? Did I get, let me make sure I got this right. Yep, yep, that's good. As he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I live in the Fox River Valley area of Illinois. It's about 45 minutes from where I grew up on the west side of Chicago. And there's this really cool ministry called the Wayside Cross Ministries. It's got a neat history. It's about 100 years old. It was established when a famous evangelist from that era, Billy Sunday, came through Aurora and was preaching. And after he was preaching, and uh, people who were um, distressed, uh, addicted and so forth were coming. He, he said to the Christians in the churches there, we need, you need a ministry to, to help rehabilitate people, and therefore Wayside Cross was, was started. And their, their mission is to serve the, um, to transform the lives of the poor, the impoverished, the addicted, uh, people imprisoned in life by their choices and so forth. And this ministry is for men and women. They have a men's a program that's seven months. They have a women and children's program. They, they really want to be a comprehensive. And they've got like six ministries. One's a men's recovery. The other's women and children's recovery. The other is in Elgin. And it is for, the, for the, 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 those who don't have food and chronically homeless. Uh, they've got an outreach ministry for work readiness. They've got a ministry specifically for the previ- people incarcerated. And I have been teaching a Thursday morning class at 7 o'clock. I'm like a morning person. I'm one of those guys that's up at 5. So I teach a 7 o'clock class every Thursday. And uh, I've taught a lot of Bible studies over being a minister roughly 23, 4 years. And I have not taught a more satisfying, personally satisfying Bible study than with these men. Started, I had 8. They told people, and I got 16 men. And I'm starting to get relationships with those who graduated from the program, and I see them in the, at the health club at Planet Fitness. It's, it's just been really cool ministry to see how God is saving and rehabilitating people that some people would say you can't even reach them. The thing that really strikes me about these people is that they're like you and me. They're not like what we would 
normally think of in terms of addicted, uh, struggling people. Uh, one kid I looked at him smarter than me, brighter than me, just made a few different choices that ended up with a prison stint and so forth, right? But God is saving and redeeming the, the loss. And I, I asked myself sometime, I said, uh, this ministry is in the east side of Aurora, kind of a, uh, not a, kind of a rough side of town. And I asked myself, what would happen if they accomplished, bought land in my community, Pressbury, uh, uh, considered the best neighborhood in my little suburb, Sugar Grove? What, happened, what would happen if they bought land in Pressbury and they moved the whole facility over to Pressbury? What would happen if such a facility was moved into your neighborhood? Would they receive a welcome reception? Would the community receive them or not? Uh, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about how Jesus ministers to the undesirables. And we're we're going to talk about how this was a core part of his ministry. It wasn't just an aside. Uh, uh, Jesus, you see, makes the, the self-righteous uncomfortable. Did you know that? Jesus makes the self-righteous uncomfortable. And we're going to see this in the text. I've got four points this morning. Here's the, uh, here's the first. Jesus calls undesirable people to be his disciples. He calls undesirable people to be his disciples. Mark 2, 13 and 14, uh, he went out again beside the Sea of Galilee and all the crowd was coming to him because Jesus had been healing and he had been casting out demons and he was becoming famous, but people were not necessarily recognizing he was the Messiah. Uh, Nick and I have to be careful about crowds. Pastors have to be careful about crowds because crowds don't necessarily mean redemption is taking place. Did you know that? You can have big crowds of attenders, of people who don't know Jesus and haven't made a commitment to him. They like the show. They like the miracles. They like the free food, right? And so there were crowds, but there weren't, um, there weren't as many real converts. The crowds were coming to him, and he was preaching the gospel. As he passed by, though, he saw a Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. At the time of Christ, the people who collected taxes from the Jewish people for the Romans were considered the lowest of the low in the society. When people encountered them, they asked themselves, how could you betray the country like this? Not only did they collect taxes for the Romans, they collected extra for their own pockets and the people hated them. They thought they were traitors, just like we think people who steal military secrets of ours and pass them on to foreign nations. We say to ourselves, what kind of low life can you be? The tax collectors were considered low lives. Now, Jesus understood this. Listen to how he, how he uses this common understanding within the society to train his disciples when he teaches them how to discipline an unrepentant sinner. So Jesus is teaching how to deal with someone who hadn't come to, to Christ in repentance and faith. 
And uh, what he says is this. He says, go to the person. He says, uh, he says these, are, these are Christians. These are people who are in the faith. And he says, go to the person if there's an offense and try to win them. And then he tells them about how to escalate it. Bring another party with you and so forth. And at the, 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 the last step, right, is to bring a group of folks, Matthew 18, 17. And, and if he refuses to listen to them, the two people that now come, tell the entire church. And if the, this, the person refuses to be uh, disciplined by the entire church, let him to be to you like what? A, a Gentile, right? And you know within the law of Israel, the Jewish people were supposed to be separate from the Gentiles. He said, treat them like a Gentile whom, of whom you would have no fellowship with, right? And a tax collector. Tax collectors were treated with the highest levels of disrespect. But when Jesus saw this tax collector, Levi, in our passage this morning, he saw a person, a lost person in need of salvation. Jesus understood that any of these folks who were taking advantage of their people were doing wrong, but he also understood that in order to turn them around, they would have to have a transformation. They would have to have a life-changing experience with God himself. So it wasn't as if he was trying to ignore that they were sinful people doing the wrong thing. He was saying that the image of God in them made them worthy of his attention and salvation. Amen? Do you feel that way about folks that are maybe uh, not what you would consider worthy of salvation? Um, there, there's a book written by Jerry uh, Bridges that talks a little bit about respectable sins. Uh, sometimes we can be so caught up about our culture and its degeneration and the, the breakdown in the family, the total disintegration of identity, uh, those kinds of things, that we don't look at our own more respectable sins. Uh, Jerry Bridges was, uh, uh, wrote a book to deal with this. He wrote a book called Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate in 2007. Bridges says this, he says, uh, he considers the root sin to be ungodliness, living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God, or God's will, or of the glory of God, or of one's dependence on God. As a younger Christian, kind of getting my career started in business, I would have probably fallen in that camp, that camp. You know, I would go to church on Sunday, but, you know, Monday is different. Business is different. Amen? Um, uh, the, the pastor at First Atlanta Church uh, just died here recently. Famous pastor, uh, there, his name will come to me in a minute. You know, many of you saints who've been around a while know the guy's name, Charles Stanley. And he tells a story. There's a one-hour YouTube documentary. You got to watch it. And in this one-hour YouTube documentary, um, uh, 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 Charles was was called from Miami to this to Atlanta. The pastor who was there left. The leadership was trying to figure out who would be the next pastor, and it was a rough, rocky period, right? Most of the congregation wanted Charles Stanley to, to be the pastor. He was an outstanding communicator, loved people. Most people wanted him in. Uh, some of the leaders, though, didn't want him in. And uh, Charles was at a meeting with the board, and he said to them, 
uh, something was being discussed. And he said, we, brothers, we need to open up the Bible, and we need to pray about this. And they said to him, this is a business meeting. We don't do that at the business meeting. <laughs> this is a prominent church that had been taught the, the Scriptures faithfully for generations. And this was the mentality. I was kind of had that kind of mentality when I started my business career. Come on, you, you can admit your own stuff. So, so there is this, there's one of the sins is that you try to live your life as if the faith doesn't matter Monday through Friday. Sunday's good, but rest of the week, no good. Then one of the other kind of sins is the sins of discontentment, right? When you, things are not going quite the way you had expected. You have these dreams for your life. You have these dreams for your family. Things don't happen the way you want, and you have a bitterness, right? What do, what do we do with bitterness. Then there's this unthankfulness. There's this, we, we in America have been so blessed, right? We, our borders are being flooded. We think it's rough. The borders are being flooded by people who would be dying to take your seat, right? Come on. And, but we are unthankful. We're, we don't feel like we've been blessed. We can't see the goodness of God in our lives. And there's the sin of pride, right? That, that I'm morally better than other folks. My theology is better than unfolds. And then there's this, the sin of selfishness, right? It's all about me. It's not about you, me first, me second, and me always. And so we have these kind of respectable sins. And we look at these respectable sins and we don't see them like addiction and other kinds of more serious th- sins, right? And that isn't, of course, how our Savior looks at these things at, at all. So we need to beware of that kind of mindset. Jesus makes the self-righteous uncomfortable was my main point. He calls undesirable people to be his disciples. Secondly, Jesus sacrifices, uh, socializes with undesirable people. Mark 2 and 15. And Jesus reclined at a table at his house, his house being Levi's house, with many of these tax collectors, right, and sinners, you know people are, are doing badly when, uh, when, when, when sinful people say to you, you know what, man, you're so messed up, you need to go to church. Amen. You, you know, you're so bad, right? And so this, these were those kind of people. These are the kind of people that sinners would say, you know, I know I do wrong, but you, you really got a problem. You really need Jesus, right? So he, he was at a house with tax collectors and the lowest of the low kinds of sinners, and, and he was, they were reclining with Jesus and his, his disciples, for there were many people who followed him. You know, it's one thing when we support uh, missionaries and when we do evangelism and discipleship over there. Over there in Africa. Over there in Latin America. Over there. When it's, when it's over there, that's, that's one thing. But what we see with Jesus is he is willing to come right alongside the over there people and actually have fellowship with them himself, personally. Jesus had what I would call a higher love. Back in my day, there was a song by a guy named Steve Winwood. And some of you who know my preaching know I was going to have to go to a high point in this uh, high language. He said, Steve, Steve had a high voice. He could actually sing. I can't. He would say, bring me a higher love. Yeah. 
bring me a heart. All right, so you know how bad I can sing that. <laughs> Jesus loved people at a higher level. If you were a leper and the law said that you should walk around saying to yourself, unclean, unclean, you could come up to Jesus. If you had a bleeding, a feminine bleeding that would not go away, and the law said that you should not come around your brothers, you could come around Jesus and you would be welcomed. If you were an adulterer, or a woman involved in illicit sexuality, and you came up to, wanted to worship Jesus and put your hands on him, you would be welcome. If you were a Gentile and were outside of the family of God and you came up to Jesus, you would, you would be welcome. You didn't have to clean yourself up before you came in to the family of God. So many people think uh, when they come around us and if we're so self-righteous, they think that we've got to clean themselves up. And those of us who've been walking with Jesus know that we cannot clean ourselves up. Amen. That it takes an interaction with Jesus, the, the grace of God to be poured upon us in a, in a life-changing way before we would want to be different, different in terms of how we treat our families, different in how we treat our relatives, different in how we treat our friends, different in how we work. It takes a transformation to live in the, in the righteous way that our Savior would have us Live So Jesus says, if you're struggling, that's the time to come. That's the time to come. And the church are the people that these struggling people should be able to come to. That's always been the, the case. So we need Christians like this today that have a higher love, that can deal with people that don't smell so good and the track record is not good in order to welcome them into the family of God. Do you socialize with any undesirable people? Are they welcome into your home? Are they welcome into your church? Third point. Oh, did I go backwards or no? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Here we go. Jesus makes the self-righteous uncomfortable. Third point. The self-righteous people disapprove. Mark 2 and 6, 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, these were the legal scholars. These were the educated elite. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating, having fellowship with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, now, why does he hang out with them? Why does he eat with them? Now, the lawyers of the Pharisees were looking at Jesus, uh, was doing and shaking their heads. They would never have intimate fellowship. They would never share a meal with sinners like that. This is how they believed that they should sanctify themselves. They thought sanctification was to stay away from the undesirable uh, people. Um, when, now, when humans, of course, when we set the standards for righteousness, something strange happens. Grace for people 
that is not like us is removed. When we set the standards for righteousness, grace for people that are not like us is removed, not like our ethnicity, not like our political party, not like our sins. You see, the other people are too messy. Uh, people like me, I understand how they think and move and so forth, but other people are just too messy. Last Sunday, we celebrated the life of Shirley Dietrich. I was preaching on the south side of Chicago, and Debbie and I hightailed it out of there in order to get to the, to the, the, the funeral home for, for Fran's beloved wife, Shirley Dietrich. Shirley was not like that. She was not like that in, in relation to dealing with troubled people. That's why we hightailed our butt back, because we wanted to honor somebody who had that kind of mindset. Um, if you were poor, Shirley would welcome you. If you were lonely, Shirley would welcome you at her table. If you were a foreigner, she could be your, you could be her son or daughter. Shirley, you see, had the mindset of Jesus. That's why uh, she adopted, uh, my, I was here um, as my mom aged, and I considered Shirley to be my mom away from home. If you needed somebody to get a prayer through, call Shirley. When God looks down at us, he says that all of us and our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's Isaiah 6 and 4 and also in Romans chapter 3. So he sends Jesus to us all and tells us that if we want to be his children, if we want to be clean, then we, can, we need to accept his righteousness as exchange for ours the righteousness that we like create for ourselves. We, gotta, we have to pass on that righteousness and accept the perfect righteousness from our gracious God who accepts all of us from all of our variety of uh, sins. But when we accept uh, Jesus' salvation, we got to remember a couple of things. We can't look down upon the other folks that Jesus calls into our family. We, got, we really have to work hard on that. Those who are maybe mentally disabled or physically disabled, those who have committed sins that we think are unforgivable, right? We, we got to really work hard on our own uh, self-righteousness. And I'm not just talking, this is a, this is a sermon for me. You know, probably the biggest sin I've had to address over my life since I was one of those goody two-shoes kids from early on is self-righteousness. A sense that I was better than whatever, whomever, based upon whatever standards I wanted to come up with at the time. Uh, we must develop a keen sense of our own unworthiness before a holy uh, other God, sovereign provident, high God. We, know, we must develop a sense of our unworthiness. If we're going to confront our natural 
self-righteousness. I'm talking to Christian people now in particular. We must have a high view of God's otherness in relation to us. Just like Isaiah did in chapter 6 when he got a glimpse of glory. When he got a glimpse of God's glory, he just knew he was a wretch undone. And when we look at God's glory in our small groups and in our Bible studies and in our, in the, in our devotional life, we need to see a sense of our unworthiness before him and say, oh, Lord, uh, um, if it wasn't for your grace, there I would go further and further downward. We need to have that kind of uh, uh, sense and understanding. And here's my last point. Jesus makes the self-righteous uncomfortable. He, uh, he calls undesirable people to be his friends. He socializes with them. He, he, and then the self-righteous, uh, they disabruise. They, they can't understand it. They got the, these are the hang-ups of the self-righteous, lastly. But though Jesus is targeting people who know they are not well. 2 and 17. When Jesus heard what the, the scribes of the Pharisees were saying, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. He gets metaphorical on, him, on us. Jesus does that a lot. He's like, he's trying to drive a point home. He's got to figure out what's the right metaphor that I can really get their attention. I know what I'll do. I'll, comp I'll compare their spiritual deficiency to their mental, physical deficiency. He says, uh, and when he, Jesus heard, he said, those who have uh, no need for, of a physician, who are well, have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. And then he, he says something that's a little startling. He said, I didn't come to call righteous people. I came to call people who knew they're not well. I got to thinking about this text, and I got to thinking about that Wayside Cross ministry, and I got to thinking about how all those men, they just don't have heirs. They, they just, like, confess stuff. They get to confessing stuff, so I started confessing stuff. <laughs> I, I assured them that we were all on the same page. The things they're struggling with are different than mine, but the Lord doesn't like either one of them. We got to change. This may very well be the secret of effective evangelism and discipleship. Focus on sharing the message with humble, hurting people. Focus on sharing the message with the poor in spirit. I, I have met people poor in spirit who are wealthy as more than, than any of us. So you can be poor in spirit and have everything financially. Focus on the poor in spirit. Folks who know that they need help from outside of themselves. When Jesus trained his disciples, he sent them out two by two into villages. And he gave them these instructions. He said, if you go to a house and there are people of peace there, stay there, eat whatever they give you, right? But if you go to a place and they don't receive the message, he said, just go out into the street and and uh, shake the dust, they would wear sandals, shake the dust off your, your feet, right, as a testament before them. And Jesus said, it's going to be worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah in the judgment. In, in other words, he's saying, when you go out and do discipleship, look for the ones who have a heart for the gospel. And, don't, and then he says, 
Don't get so caught up about the ones who don't, who think you're an idiot, uh, a, 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 a Neanderthal intellectually. He said, don't get caught up with that. Don't let that stop you. That's just the same kind of people that, his, that Jesus ran into and the same kind of people his disciples ran into. Don't let that stop you. Just rejoice when you find a humble person who's willing to receive the gospel and minister to them. Jesus makes the self-righteous uncomfortable. My final point is this, worship team, you can get ready. There is hope for the self-righteous. There's got to be because there was hope for me. (laughs) There is hope for the self-righteous. All sin is a form of of self-righteousness. It says that God is not who he says he is. And Jesus runs into one of the intellectual elite in John chapter 3. He runs into Nicodemus, and Nicodemus comes to him at night because he doesn't want to be seen by his peers because they would be, he would be scolded, he would be lambasted for running to this unworthy uh, a prophet, false prophet. Uh, but, but he comes to him and he says, Jesus, I, it's obvious that the Lord's hand's on you. You're doing these miracles. Nobody could do this kind of stuff. And Jesus doesn't even want to hear any of that stuff. He just pivots to the real need, which he needs to be saved. He pivots to the real need. And he, he says to him, um, basically, that you've got to understand, you've got to be gripped by the Holy Spirit. He says, you've got to be born again. You're thinking with a natural mind, and you've got to be changed from the inside out by, by God. And he, he preaches to, to this self-righteous man, and essentially he gets to him. He says, listen, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the self-righteous, to condemn sinners, but he sent him, his son to save us from our variety of sins. And God will do that. He does that for all of us, whatever our national, ethnic, sin background. God will save us. And for that's the reason that we're here. He has saved us. We've been affected by the goodness of God. Let, let us pray. Lord, I just thank you that there's hope for the self-righteous. that um, that none of us is outside of your reach, spiritually speaking. And uh, we praise you for that. Uh, we thank you for this life-changing gospel that you have given us. We thank you for uh, the work of John Mark um, he was a man experienced with your grace. Uh, early in his ministry, he was gripped by fear, and later he turned it around. Early in some of our ministries, we've been gripped by self-righteous, but now we can be humble and poor in spirit, Lord. That's, that's who we can be in you. We thank you for that transforming power that you have. Uh, continue to make, do that transformation in the lives of the saints, but also 
among those who don't know you, who may be within the sound of my voice, that this message of grace would be captivating to them, would convict them, would draw them into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.